If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 21. We're going to be looking at John chapter 21, verse 1 to 19. I'm actually going to be reading quite a few verses, a long text uh, this morning. The verses will come up here on the screens uh, beside me. But this is John chapter 21. So let's, uh, let's listen uh, to the Word of God, what it has to say to us this morning. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. This is after his resurrection. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And he answered them, no. And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple who Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Now, next Sunday, we have a gift day in our church, and uh, we've done this a few times throughout our short history as a church. Our gift days are opportunities for us to invest financially above and beyond our regular faithful giving. For some of you, it's once every couple of weeks. If that's what you get paid, it's once a month. Um, it could be another frequency for those who are self-employed or, or whatever it is, but gift days are opportunities for us to go financially above and beyond that. And to invest in very special initiatives as we believe that God is leading us into them. Part of the thinking behind that is that because of who Jesus is and what he's done, we don't have to be bound by a strict percentage of giving. That because of grace, we're actually free to give more. 
we're actually free to trust even more to God. So we don't do this out of obligation. We don't do this because the pastor stands at the front and gives an exact percentage or an exact number. That's not the heart whatsoever. We do it as worship. We do it as a response to the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. But let's also recognize that any time somebody like me stands in front of a room, something like this, and talks about money, there could be a number of different responses that are going on in people's minds. Now, another church, another church leader who just wants my cash. We turn the TV on sometimes and flick through the channels. Most of you have never in your life flicked through channels. You've never known what that is. There was a time when you would turn the TV on and actually flick through channels. And sometimes you'd see somebody standing up and wearing a really interesting looking suit and there'd be a phone number at the bottom of the screen and they would have a little Visa logo or something and it would be, send in money, send in money and this will happen. This is what you will get from God. This is what he will do for you if you do this. And because of different experiences like that, we can really get skeptical about this. We can really think, no, 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 my money, I don't know. I don't know exactly where it's going to go. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. Well, what I want to do this morning is, is as we are opening the Bible together, John 21, I want us to get down to like a, a very fundamental question here. If you're here, and you are a Christian, you're, you're a son or daughter of God, you're somebody who's given your life to Jesus Christ. When we strip all of the cynicism, all of the, all of the fear, perhaps even all of the rightly placed concern, if you've had bad experiences around this, let's acknowledge that. Take that all away, ultimately, fundamentally, what is one key, core reason why a son or a daughter of God should give? That's what I want us to take a look at this morning, because I believe these verses from John chapter 21 speak to this very, very well. And there's, a, there's an even more fundamental question here is about Jesus himself. You know, in this exchange that is happening between Jesus and Peter in these verses that I've just read, Jesus is asking this question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? If you've been in this church for a little while, you know that uh, not too long ago, we did a series in the Gospel of Mark. We were in it for like a year and a half. I think there are 54 or 56 sermons on our website from that series. We took a lot of time going through Mark's Gospel, looking at the life of Jesus. But Mark's Gospel, Mark is really the scribe for that. He's really telling Peter's story. And here's Peter again in John chapter 21. If you remember from that series, Peter's kind of like the spokesman of the disciples. He's the one that, that kind of speaks on their behalf. Jesus is asking this question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's going, yes, yes. And even the third time we read, Peter's actually getting frustrated. Jesus, why are you asking me this? Why, why, why is the first time that I've said yes and the second time, why is that not enough? Why are you asking me the third time? Yes, you know that I love you. So let's start with a very fundamental question here. Why should we love Jesus? Let's start there. It seems like a good a good place. If we're saying, no, we come, we want to give, we want to invest our money, our time, all that we have, we want to invest it into the kingdom of God. We want to give it to Jesus Christ. Why? Why should we do that? Why, why should we love him? Why should we respond in that way? Well, again, John chapter 21 is, is very helpful for this. In John chapter 21, the disciples find themselves again on the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. And Tally and I, for my 30th birthday, we spent some time in that part of the world. I remember visiting that, that lake. It's a big lake. 
And standing there, and, and on a clear day, you can actually see from east to west, you can see across to the other side. It's not, not massive. I mean, it's a fairly big lake, but not so big that you can't see across to the other side. And, and there the disciples are again. They're out on the water. They're on this lake. And this is three years after they initially met Jesus. Now, some of you remember how they did initially, many of them, meet Jesus. Where was it? It's beside the exact same lake. And there were fishermen. Many of them were fishermen. And Jesus is going along, walking along the side of the lake, and he sees some of these disciples that he's going to call, and he says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we read in the Gospels that they dropped everything to follow him. Now, over the three years that followed, some amazing things took place. Even for, for Simon Peter himself, Jesus healed his mother-in-law. She's ill in bed with a severe, very serious fever. We hear the word fever and we think, well, it's not, it doesn't seem that serious. It was extremely serious, life-threatening for her. Jesus goes and Jesus heals her. They continue going around in that region, people that have demons inside of them. Jesus casts them out. I say that today in Ottawa and some of us think, demons, really? We, we're going there? We actually believe that demons exist? I absolutely do believe that demons exist. I, I, I would struggle to reconcile a lot of what I see happening in the news um, around the world and not think that there are evil forces that are behind some of it. Remember that line, Kaiser Soze, right, in uh, Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist, right? And culturally, that's where so many of us are. No, he doesn't exist, and that's exactly where he would love for us to be. Doubting that he even exists, doubting that he even has evil plans. Well, back in that culture, there wasn't much of a question around that. People just accepted that as reality, that there was that spiritual realm and a spiritual fight between good and evil that spilled over into the world and that that meant that some people had demons inside of them. And that's bad. That is not a good thing. And Jesus would go around with authority casting demons out. He would go around healing the sick. He would go around feeding those that uh, were hungry. Big crowd, really big crowd, at least 3,000. In another case, 5,000. Jesus feeds them with a morsel of food, really. In one case, a small boy's lunch. The disciples are with Jesus doing all this, doing life with him, walking around with him, following him. When Jesus says, come and follow me, he doesn't just mean come and follow my teaching. He means literally come and follow me. And imagine three years with this man. Like, like friends, imagine it. Three years seeing people being set free, seeing Jesus going up against the religious leaders of the day that are abusing their power, that are feeling threatened by Jesus, that are trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus being so wise in his dealings with them. The disciples seeing all of this, the disciples also being with Jesus when he literally walks to his death, walking to Jerusalem. We're going to remember this in just a few short weeks with Easter. Jesus, before that, told his disciples, the Son of Man, there's going to be a time coming when the Son of Man will be handed over, he'll be arrested and handed over. No, 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 it's not going to happen. It's not going to, you're not going to be put to, no, 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 they, they, couldn't, they couldn't process it. Peter particularly, no, 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 no. Jesus knew that this was coming. The disciples are with Jesus on that walk. They're there when he gets arrested. And that's after he's betrayed by one of his closest friends, Judas, the money guy, the treasurer for the group, the treasurer for the disciples. 
worships the God of money instead of worshiping Jesus Christ, puts money over Jesus and ends up selling Jesus, betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Disciples watching this all take place. And of course, the disciples also knowing some witness being there, Jesus on the cross, being put to death on a Roman cross, nails being put through his arms, through his feet, and dying. Roman guards, they knew how to execute people. They did not get it wrong for all of the, uh, the kind of more liberal theology speculation out there. Oh, maybe Jesus was just really wounded on the cross and then, you know, healed really quickly. He must have been in good shape as he was lying in the tomb. It's just garbage. It's just stupid. He was dead. Romans did not make public displays of that and then get it wrong. It would have been such an embarrassment to the empire. Huge. They did not get that wrong. Jesus there on the cross, dead. Put into an empty tomb. It was not empty for three days while Jesus is there. But then we know the story doesn't end there. We know that Jesus is raised to life. He doesn't stay dead. He starts appearing to his followers. Starts appearing to his disciples. That's a lot to take in, isn't it? I've just given you like a, like a, a snapshot summary of three years. I've kind of given you a lot of our Mark series in, in, in kind of one hit, okay, in like seven or eight minutes. That's a lot to take in. So I particularly love what happens here in verse 3. Remember, the disciples are out. They're back up at the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. They're out. And, and we don't know exactly what's going through their head at this time, but we can imagine, I think with certain accuracy, what must have been going through there. They would have been processing the previous three years. My goodness, this is, this is crazy, all that has happened. But they would have also been thinking about the death of Jesus. They would have also been picturing the cross and all of the trauma of that and everything that follows. So much to take in is just crazy. So I would have been just like Peter here in verse 3. What would you have done? Well, look at what Peter says. I'm going fishing. <laughs> I'm going fishing. Fair enough. So out they go into the boat. And they go fishing. And while they're out there, Jesus appears on the shore. And he calls out to them. They don't know it's Jesus initially. Children, have you caught anything? No. They're fishermen. is better fishing overnight if you're doing it for your occupation. little tip for you if you're looking for a career change, fish overnight. You'll hopefully catch more fish. That's what they were doing, fishing overnight. It's by dawn. They still have not caught any fish. Jesus calls out to them, throw, throw it on the other side of the boat, and there's fish. And they recognize that it's Jesus, and Peter jumps in the water, and he is off. He is off. He's over there. He wants to be with Jesus. What's going through Peter's mind likely? Again, I want to I make it clear. The Gospels don't tell us this explicitly. All right, So I'm not trying to preach from something that isn't here. But I think in that exchange, Peter probably was thinking about what he did the night that Jesus was arrested. I think he's thinking about denying even knowing Jesus three times. He's thinking about his best friend, his Lord and Savior, who he said to a servant girl in the first instance, and then others, I don't know him, don't know who you're talking about. Imagine the shame Imagine the guilt. Imagine seeing that man going and being put to death and just knowing, I've just disowned him. I've just said I don't even know him. I've denied him three times. I told him I would never do that, and I went and did that very thing. But then days later, being out in that boat, looking over, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. What would you do? 
You'd jump in the water too. You'd swim like crazy. You'd want to go and be there with him. Why should we love Jesus for the same reason that Peter loves Jesus? It's because Peter has seen Jesus' tenderness towards him, his kindness towards him, all that Jesus has done for him. He's done life with him. How could he not love this man? And then we read about this remarkable exchange that happens between Peter and Jesus. Peter is a spokesman. He's there, and this conversation strikes up in verse 15 after they finish breakfast. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What are the these that are being referred to? Commentators have speculated a lot on what this is. Is it, is it the fish, 153 fish? Do you love me more than these fish? It's probably not that. Do you love me more than the other disciples? It would be a little bit awkward to kind of answer, wouldn't it? But, but Peter sometimes would kind of put himself out there that way. Like, I am the most loyal I'm the one who's with you the most. We don't know exactly what the reference in there. Most commentators would agree that it's a reference to the other disciples. And Peter, as the spokesman, is the one who's often speaking first. That way, do, do you love me more than these? We can apply it as that. We can apply it to the people sitting beside you. We can apply it to your money. We can apply it to your job. We can apply it to the relationship that you have or that you want to have. That question from Jesus, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all of these things? Peter's there. What does he say? Yes. Yes. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus asks him a second time, do you love me? Yes. Tend my sheep. A third time, do you love me? John gives us an insight here. What's going on in Peter's mind? He's getting frustrated. He's grieved. Jesus, why are you asking me this three times? But we need only think about what Peter did the night that Jesus was arrested, denying Jesus three times. Jesus is making it very clear that his grace covers Peter's denial, Peter's betrayal. A thing that Peter would have been living with. How could I have done that to my, my, my Jesus, my Lord, my, my best friend, denying him three times? Peter, do you love me? Yes. And feed my sheep. That first denial wiped clean. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Tend my sheep. That second denial wiped clean. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. That third one wiped clean. Jesus is so gracious to Peter. Jesus is so gracious to you and me. What, what, does this, this, what does this tell us about the grace of God? Is that the grace of God is, is far more perfect than our imperfect love for Christ. All around this room, we'd all have different stories of how we have imperfectly loved Jesus. Those of us that are followers of God have given our lives to Jesus Christ. Guys, like, we know, don't we? We know the conversations we've had where we have effectively denied Christ. Let's forget conversations for a minute. We know decisions we have made in our lives where we have denied Christ. Where we know that there's something that Jesus wants for us that is better. It's healthier. It's better for us. And we've gone, no. No, I know a better way. And I could stand here this morning and say to to many of you this morning, but do you love him? And you'd say, yes, I love him, but you don't love him perfectly. And I don't love him perfectly, but he is perfectly gracious. Perfectly gracious. 
Friends, receive this encouragement this morning that even in your and my imperfect love for Jesus Christ, he's so quick to extend his perfect grace. What, what, what is the denial in your life of, of Jesus? What is, it the way that, what is the way that you've run from him or have said, no, I know better. I have a better way. I have a better plan. Know that there's grace for you this morning. Know that Jesus to you this morning is offering the same thing that was offered to Peter that morning is his, his, his warmth, his companionship, even his provision. Jesus, Jesus even cooks him the food, you know? It's just amazing. Such humility. In that, Jesus is wanting to prove to them that he's not just like a resurrected spirit. He's not just like a ghost kind of wandering around because ghosts don't do that well eating food. If a ghost eats a fish, what do you end up with? A fish on the floor, okay? Ghosts don't eat food very well. Jesus is there proving he is there. He's the resurrected Christ, 100% God and 100% man there with them, resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And still quick to extend grace to his followers. Still quick to extend grace to his disciples. That was true for Peter. And friend, that is true for you and me. If you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't, you can. It's available to you this morning as well. So why should we love Jesus for the same reason that Peter loves Jesus? In light of all that he is. In light of all that he has done for us. There are so many reasons to love him. Let me just pause right here and say that we need to recognize that, that, that culturally, most people don't start with the question of, is Jesus worth loving? What they tend to start with is, is, is Jesus worth agreeing with? Can I, can I agree with him? Does he think the same way that I do? I want you to know that it's actually not the best starting point. Because anybody who's here, who's, who's in, a, in, in, in a fairly, I hope, healthy marriage, you know that you can have a loving relationship without perfect agreement all the time. In fact, some of the strongest relationships don't have perfect agreement all the time, and that's what makes them stronger, because sometimes, quite often, people have different perspectives than us, and that includes better perspectives than us. I think the better question to start out with when it comes to Jesus is, do, are, there, are there really good reasons to love him? And I believe that as you go through this, you will come to the conclusion, if you do it with integrity and honestly, yes, how could I not love this man? The thing is that the world loves to tip its hat to the love of Jesus. Never in my life, never in my life, whether it's been in working for a church or otherwise, has somebody said to me, what Jesus said there was wrong. I've never heard somebody say that. I've heard people go through like Paul's letters, well, Paul says there, that's wrong, or something that was said in the Old Testament, that's wrong. I've never, maybe you have, I've never heard somebody say, Christian or otherwise, what Jesus says there is wrong. I've also never heard somebody say, Jesus, Jesus was a bad man. Clearly he was, he was just out to manipulate people. He's just out to kind of get at people. It's like, no, like going through this, most people, even most people in our city would agree and would recognize, no, there's something different about this Jesus. At the very least, he's a good man who shaped world history. But the scriptures don't allow us to just leave it there. It's not just about Jesus being a good man. There's more than that. Is, is, is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? And ultimately in this, do you love him? I want to encourage you, if you're even investigating the Christian faith here this morning, have you given time to that question? Is this Jesus worth loving? Of engaging your heart 
on that question. It doesn't mean your other questions don't matter. It doesn't mean I'm not, what I'm not saying is just switch your mind off. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying is if you're going through this book, it's a reason to love this man. There is. There absolutely is. And don't think that you can only love what you fully agree with, because I believe if you examine even other relationships in your own life, you will probably find that that is not the case. Now, if we love Jesus, how should that love be expressed? There are no shortage of things that could be said about this, but let's focus on what is said in John chapter 21 here. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And he asked him that second time. What's Jesus' answer the second time? Tend my sheep. And then the third time, when Peter's getting, getting like worked up about it, still, what does Jesus say? Feed my lambs. There's this emphasis here on the feeding of the flock. What is that flock? It's the people of God. It is the church. Matt Luard spoke so well two weeks ago on this. You can catch up on that talk on, on the website uh, we've called it, what, comma, on earth <laughs> is the church? And Matt did so well in that. And a line that really stuck with me, I know stuck with many of you, is the more we get to know Jesus, the more we come to love Jesus, the more we come to love the things that Jesus loves. And that includes his bride. Matt did a wonderful job taking us into Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved what? The church laid his life down for her. His bride, the church. Jesus is so concerned with the health of the church. And here we see this again in this exchange between Jesus and Peter. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Jesus is very concerned with the feeding of his people. I want you to know for us here at Grace City Church, this is why we give time every Sunday to opening this book, because we believe this is how we feed you. This is how I believe, and Matt and others who preach in this church, how we are fed ourselves. But it grieves me to see so much of what is happening in in much of Western Christianity, where not all, but many preachers are more concerned with appeasing than they are feeding. Many are more concerned with entertaining than they are feeding. If you are looking for an entertaining church to come to, you have come to the wrong one. I can do a somersault right now, and maybe some of you will laugh, and that'll be your entertainment. But that's going to be the end of it. Because we're not interested in entertaining you. We have every interest in feeding you. Why? Because that is what Jesus said to do. And the diet that we have right now in Western Christianity is really, really, really off. We focus on, on one course. It's like going into a buffet and kind of looking at the entire spread and then just going to one thing and to one thing and to one thing and not, or, or, or just going to the dessert bar, straight to the sugar. I just want to have all of that because that's good. And, and I'm here and I want, man, look at, look at that spread. That's what I want to have all the time. Every week I want to have that. Dessert, sugar, 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 sugar. You're not going to get very far in life in a very healthy way. Diet matters. <laughs> it matters a lot. And Jesus is concerned with the health of his flock that's why Paul says in one of his letters, my, my desire was to teach you the entire counsel of Scripture, all of it, because that's a good diet taking you through all of it. Jesus is saying this to Peter, feed, nourish, provide good food to my sheep, provide good food to my lambs. Now you might be thinking, well, Peter's an apostle. Like, I'm not an apostle. Clearly, Peter's going on. He's going to start loads and loads of churches. Surely this is unique for him. And we do need to recognize, yes, it is unique for him, but it's not exclusive for him. 
If you're here and you're part of the family of God, you're a son or daughter of God, there is a role that we all have to play as a bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, in helping to ensure the health of the church. Why are we giving next week? Why do we even bother with a gift day? Because it involves the feeding of the sheep. Friends, that's, that's where I'm running to with this. That's why. Because when you give on any Sunday or when you give next week, when you put money in these buckets or give it online or when you join a serving team or when you cook your, your pastor a, a dinner, because firstly, he can't cook to save his life and secondly, his family's going through quite an adjustment, what are you doing? You're helping to care for the church. That's a good thing. And here's the wonderful thing about it. You're better for it yourself. It's not just the care of those who are around you. It's better for your own care also. When you give next week, if you give online this week, you're free to do that even in the run-up. Whatever it is, know that what you're helping to enable is feeding. It's so that we can come into this building in the center of Ottawa in a part of our city where churches are shutting their doors. There's some wonderful churches in Ottawa Really wonderful churches in Ottawa, but in the center of our city, since we've moved to the city, maybe it's because we're here, I don't know, but more churches have shut their doors than have opened them. It grieves me. Population density is sky high, literally around here with the condos and everything else. There need to be more churches in downtown Ottawa. What are we investing in? We're investing in that very thing so that when people come in, they will be fed. They will not be entertained, but they will be fed. They will be welcomed well. They will be loved. They will be cared for. They will be prayed with. That's what we're giving to. And here's the thing, and this comes through very clearly in John chapter 21, and I'm going to close with this. It's supposed to be sacrificial. It is supposed to be sacrificial. Jesus goes on and he says this. He says uh, the third time, his third answer, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's saying this to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted There's a spiritual illustration here that Jesus is wanting to point at. He's not just saying, Peter, like like literally when when you were a young boy, although that that is true. You used to do whatever you want. You'd walk wherever you wanted. You kind of controlled your own schedule. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. My son Joshua is three years old. He has one, one setting. It's on. That's his setting, okay? Joshua, can you please go sit on the sofa? Joshua will, will sprint from the other side of the house and launch himself onto the sofa and then sit and kind of bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce. And bounce. He has one setting and it's on. He's young. He's got all this energy. He doesn't know how to steward it yet because he's young. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a grown man. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but physically, I actually have more energy. My, believe it or not, my muscles are more developed than Joshua's. I'm bigger than I actually have more energy, but I've learned how to steward it. There are times when I have to be like on and zipping around. There are other times when I just need to rest and switch off. Joshua hasn't learned that yet. I hope he learns it soon. He hasn't learned it yet. In the spiritual life, it can be very similar, friends. Some of you... Um, Remember when you first gave your life to Jesus, it was so exciting. It was so exciting. This is all so new. It's so fresh. The clouds parted. This is so wonderful. Everything was so amazing. I know that's not all the stories, but many stories can be like that. This is just the greatest thing. But as you've continued on in your relationship with God, some of that excitement seems to have waned. It gets hard. Things get tough. 
It can get really challenging. The excitement doesn't seem to be there. And you start evaluating the, 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 uh, the genuineness of your faith based on the level of your excitement for Jesus. What is it that Jesus says to Peter after Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore, and is there with Jesus? What does Jesus say? Does Jesus say, Peter, are you excited to see me? Are you excited to be with me again? Are you excited about your faith? Here we are again. Jesus says, do you love me? Does excitement for Jesus matter? Well, yeah, it matters. It's not a bad thing. But it's not the first thing. Does fire for Jesus matter? Yeah, it matters. But it's not the first thing. Friend, do you love him? Do you love him? Son or daughter of God here this morning, do you love him? Yes, Rich, I love him. I may not feel excited right now. I may not feel fired up. Things are tough in my faith. But yes, I love him. Then, friend, be encouraged. Because that's what matters the most. Be careful what it is that you're evaluating your faith on. But know that that love for Jesus, that Jesus says it will be costly. For Peter, Jesus is saying, look, when you were young, you, you did whatever you want. There might have been a lot of excitement, a lot of stuff going on. You did whatever you want. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. And as Christian tradition has it, some 30 years after Jesus said that, Peter was crucified upside down on a cross, his arms stretched out. Was that what you will walk and what I will walk in our culture? Almost definitely not. Praise God. But friends, let's not waste that. Let's not waste that. Let's not waste the comforts that we have in living out our faith here in Canada, here in Ottawa. Let's not waste it. Let's still live it out in a sacrificial way. As we consider this gift day next Sunday, let that question be the first one that you ask is, do you love them? If you do, then step into it in a sacrificial way. Church, I really want to encourage us in this. What does it mean to give sacrificially next week? What does it mean to invest so that you can continue to be fed and that others that aren't even in these seats yet will be fed? There is no greater investment. As I draw to a close, I want to read some verses that some of you um, will have had uh, read at your weddings. Those of you who are married, others will have them read maybe at your future wedding, another wedding that you go to, verses that many of us are familiar with. And what I want to encourage us to do, even at the end of this sermon, thanks for being gracious with me this morning, as my, my mind, is, I'm sure you can appreciate, is in a few different places today. But rather than focusing on our love for Jesus as I end this sermon, I want us to focus on his love for us. And we're going to worship. We're going to have a longer time to worship this morning. We're going to come and take communion to the left and the right of the tables. I'm going to give up on this headset microphone that I've been battling with for the past half hour or more. But I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, from verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Most of us know these verses. But this is actually a description of Jesus. It's a description of Jesus and his perfection. So if I may... I'm going to swap the word love for Jesus. I'm going to read this to us as we close uh, this sermon and uh, have a time worshiping and taking communion together. Would you stand with me? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. 
Jesus doesn't envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. Jesus, even, doesn't insist on his own way. Remember that. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. Even Jesus, out of anybody who could insist on their own way. Jesus doesn't insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing. He rejoices with the truth. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Holy Spirit, I pray as as we reflect on what we've heard this morning, that, that our reflections would be on Jesus, your love for us, ultimately shown by going to the cross in our place, laying your life down for us. Jesus, thank you that you are so concerned with the feeding of your sheep, that you want them healthy, you want them thriving, you want them flourishing. Oh, God, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the food that is to be found in Scripture, the life that is found there, the nourishment. God, help us as we walk this out. I pray. Thank you that you've not left us on our own. Spirit, thank you that you're here. And as we go to these communion tables right now and, 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 and literally eat bread, and drink the wine or juice, this, this food, this meal, Jesus, we think of you, we think of the bread of life, and your body being torn for us on the cross so that we could have relationship with God so that we could be fully nourished, fully cared for, fully loved, fully accepted, fully justified in God, redeemed, bought with a price. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King. It's our joy to serve you. You are a good King.